what I did was I was pushing some of our leaders in ways they hadn't been pushed before as an individual contributor with the experience that I've had in the past, leading up talent acquisition organizations, working in large consulting for a while within talent acquisition and within consulting as well. And Max and I are aligned in a lot of different ways on how to lead and run a business. And I think he noticed that alignment and wanted enlisted my help in restructuring, reorganizing, and growing Scouts into a more professional organization. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. All right, everybody, welcome to the Second in Command podcast, where we bring you the best and brightest minds in the world of business, especially COOs. Today, we're excited to have with us Sammy Siegel, who is the Vice President of Operations for Y Scouts and a certified rock star in the world of executive search. As someone who's passionate about purpose-driven companies, Sammy's here to tell us about the importance of finding meaning and purpose in your work and how Y Scouts is leading the charge as a certified B Corp and member of conscious capitalism in the executive search space. But that's not all. Sammy's also got some insider knowledge on what it takes to be a successful COO, including the common mistakes that he's seen candidates make when applying for positions, how companies can work more effectively with executive search firms like Y Scouts. So get ready and buckle up, energize your brain because Sammy Siegel is about to drop some serious knowledge on us Let's get started. By the way, he's also a COO Alliance member, so we're super excited to have him with us today. And reminder to check out all of our episodes on our Second in Command YouTube channel, as well as being able to listen to podcasts as well. So Sammy, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thank you, Cameron. It's great to see you again and great to be here. You as well. Yeah, we just got to hang out um, last week together at our COO Connect event, which was our uh, in-person COO Alliance event. And we had 46 members from all over North America. It was awesome to be able to hang out with you there and get to know you a little bit. And then you guys, Y Scouts, um, are a big, big partner of the COO Alliance as well. You've been one of the exclusive executive search firms and certainly in the high level that we'll talk about, our biggest partner for the COO world. So why don't we just start with that? Why don't you tell us who Y Scouts is and let's kind of go deep around that. Thanks, Cameron. And again, great to be here. So at Y Scouts, we're uh, the original purpose-driven executive search firm on the planet, founded back in 2012 uh, by our co-founder, current CEO, Max Hansen. Our process back then was so unique and so forward-thinking that a lot of companies even had trouble grasping the concept of our purpose-driven leader back in 2012. Our process was developed by a neuroscientist at the inception that developed our Y Scouts leadership model for hiring, which we don't believe any successful leader out there can have can be successful without embodying these three core values, these three traits, learning relentlessly, developing others, and driving results. So we look for this in every single senior leader that we hire for our clients, including all of the COOs and second commands that we hire for all the amazing other COO alliance partners and clients. That's interesting. So you actually look for some base level core values 
that are in addition to the core values of the companies that you're recruiting for? Absolutely. From the research that was done during the inception of Y Scouts, we found that, yes, we definitely screen candidates based off of not only the business acumen and technical capabilities that are required for the role, like every other traditional search firm is doing out there. But on top of that, we also have a proprietary process, a discovery process in the beginning that allows us to align and screen candidates based on our clients or values. And then in addition to that, we, we screen candidates based off of learned relentlessly, developed others, and drives your growth. Because again, we don't believe that you can be a successful leader in today's world without embodying those three characteristics. We have questions that we ask the candidates during the discovery process. We also supply our clients with questions specifically related to the White Scouts leadership model for hiring. So they can inquire as well. I love it. Now, you guys years ago got involved with conscious capitalism. Is Y Scout still a partner with or a, a you know board member or, or working with that organization? Absolutely. And why were you a part of that? We believe that in today's world, that companies and the companies that we want to partner with should have a purpose other than just printing money, right? So our purpose is to transform how people and companies connect. So when we joined. Conscious Capitalism, we signed up for Conscious Capitalism, made that pledge, where, and, and also signed up and got certified to be a certified B Corporation. And we were one of the first dirt firms on the planet to be a certified B Corp. We're still one of only a select few on the planet that are a certified B Corp. We want to partner with companies who have a purpose other than just printing money, right? And the ultimate goal of, of starting a business is printing money and earning money. But also you can have other purposes too, right? Whether it's a sustainability cause, whether it's a diversity inclusion cause, whatever that is, we want to work with companies with a, a purpose other than pretty money. Is that kind of what really is differentiating you from all the other executive search firms out there that are doing the, I know you, you tend to focus on the COO searches and the CFO searches predominantly for real companies. Like we're not talking the $100,000 COO, we're talking the 250 you know, two hundred to four hundred thousand dollars. The real COOs, the real VP operations. Is that is the purpose driven stuff what really separates you, or is there differences in your model and the way that you you know work with clients that differentiate you as well? All of the above. So we not only we have a covert discovery process number. We don't post jobs. So when we're reaching out to and specifically targeting candidates, that we utilize four different uh, research analytic tools to make sure that we're finding every single clickable candidate on the planet, number one. But number two, we screen candidates based on the role specification as well as their core values and their purpose before they even know what the role is and who our client is. So it, this allows them to sell themselves into the role in a specific way and allows us to screen them on their purpose, their mission, their values before they know who the client is so that we know if there's an alignment or not before they can sell themselves into the role. Yeah. When, when your CEO, Max Hansen explained that to me about five years ago, I really had to process that, that all of these very seasoned senior qualified candidates are essentially starting the application process and the interview process for a company and a role that they're not even being told what it is. 
because you don't, it's almost like you're not going to waste your time telling them until you know if they're a fit on the core values and on their core competency side. Exactly right. If they don't meet the basic qualifiers for the role in terms of a value system, a purpose alignment, and technical capabilities and business acumen, you know, we don't tell them who our client is. We politely say it, it might not be the best fit. We enjoyed our conversation. We want to work together in the future, but we don't tell them who the client is if there's not a fit in the basic qualifiers. It's funny. This might have been right around when you were joining the company about two and a half years ago, but uh, Y Scouts did a search for a company called John Barry Law. And John, the CEO, wanted to find a COO who was former military, former you know, current lawyer, and could operate as a COO in the space. I'm like, John, it's not going to... Oh, and he had to be like super type A and get along with John, who's like crazy type. I'm like, John, it's not going to fucking happen. Like, you, you can find them with legal and with ops and with being able to get along with you, but not with a senior military background as well. And you guys did it. You actually pulled the needle from the haystack and found this kind of person. So I was super impressed with that. All right. So... I want you to talk to me about that. You were noticing a trend. You told me offline that you're noticing that CFOs are often becoming the second in command in the company as much as often the COO is. What are you noticing there? Can you walk us through that? Because it's super intriguing. Absolutely. We're starting to notice it. And I might be biased because I have a bachelor's and master's degree in accounting. I spent six years working for PwC. I love talking to CFOs. But in newer and emerging industries, in particular, let's utilize cannabis as an example here. The finances are so complicated and so complex that the CFO has become that number two. And a lot of those types of organizations that are emerging, because without that, without a, a high level of understanding uh, and professionalism and control, on the finances, the business can't operate. And, and it's similar in a lot of other industries with the operations. If the operations aren't in, in tight control, they can't operate. While that's also true for newer and emerging industries like cannabis is an example, the CFO has become that number two because the CEO has to tell them or ask them and base every decision they make off of their advice. That makes a lot of sense, actually. It's interesting because even, even when I started the COO Alliance, one of the things that we identified was that um, quite often our members are not actually the COO. Uh, what they are really is they're the second in command to the CEO. And I, I almost think that I should have relabeled it or rebranded the COO Alliance as like the second in command community or something, um, because we have quite a few of our members play the CFO role. I think even at the COO Connect event we had the other day, about 50% of our members have finance report to you whereas about 50% don't. So you're right, though. There's there's definitely a need there for them to understand the finance side of the business. Just curious, before we get into some of the leadership and, and kind of what qualifies you, and why did you join the COO Alliance? What was it that you were looking for that, that made that a fit? Or was it Max, your CEO, that said, hey, you should take a look at this? It was me lobbying Max to back me to join an amazing organization like the COO Alliance. I was double promoted overnight in a surprise fashion, almost two years ago at Scouts, I went from being an individual contributor to an executive leader in a matter of five minutes without any notice. And as I'm building the company back up and restructuring and building the operations and optimizing processes 
building new processes, KPIs, metrics. I was thinking, and this is after conversations with our clients and what their CEOs are doing and why, what they need and learning and bells going off in my head. I needed some type of mastermind community of other like-minded number twos or second commands to bounce ideas off and learn from. Because there are a lot of people who've been doing this for a lot longer than I have, that I can learn from. And so with a lot of our partners being the CEO Alliance, a bell went off in my head. And one day I just called Max. Max, I would love to join the CEO Alliance. Would you please back me up? And he said, absolutely, I will support this. Yeah, that's that's a CEO who's also involved in the Young Presidents Organization. He's a former Entrepreneurs Organization member. He's now a member of the Genius Network. So he definitely understands the value of mastermind communities, which I, I would say that about 80% of our CEO Alliance members, their CEO is in some kind of a mastermind or a you know an organization for entrepreneurs. So I'm glad you recognize that and, and lobbied for that. Um, I'm, so I'm curious, when you said double promoted, what was your initial role at Y Scouts and, and why do you think that double promotion or, or why did that double promotion happen so quickly? I was hired to be a search director, someone managing clients, finding candidates, sourcing candidates and managing projects from start to finish. Uh, we had a, a little restructuring in the summer of 2021 with the old leadership team and why they decided to promote me um, is, is another conversation. But I, I think what I did was I was pushing some of our leaders in ways they hadn't been pushed before as an individual contributor with the experience that I've had in the past, leading up town acquisition organizations, working in large consulting for a while within town acquisition and within consulting as well. And Max and I are aligned in a lot of different ways on how to, to lead and run a business. And I think he noticed that alignment and wanted enlisted my help in grow in restructuring, reorganizing, and growing Y Scouts into a more professional organization. Got it. All right. So, and you you joined the company as COO two and a half years ago, or did you get promoted two and a half years ago? I got promoted a little less. I joined the organization a little over two years ago. Okay. I was promoted in August of 2021, so less than four months after I joined the organization as an individual contributor. Okay. So to, to do that, what was it about Max and the company that had you say hell yes to that role? I was in a position where I just come out of a, a, a nightmare situation with a, with a startup that I had joined four months before COVID. I, I was looking and that wasn't working out. There's a lot of different factors that, that played into that. But when I was doing some soul searching towards the end of that gig, I wanted something different. I had spent six years in executive search in Chicago, where I started my career earlier in my career before rejoining a large consulting organization. And I wanted something similar. I wanted back in client service, but I wanted something different. I did not want to join another traditional search firm where I'm doing the same darn thing every day. It's just boring. I reached out to Y Scouts. The next day I was at, had a conversation and a week later I was on with Max. And it was a perfect alignment because I was looking for something different. I was looking for something where I can make more of a difference, where I can be in a purpose-driven organization and something other, again, than just working on printing money every single day. 
right? We are, we are a small business. We are a business. Obviously, generating as much revenue as possible within reason is our number one. But we're here to provide purpose-driven search, which is very different and very unique. And it caught my eye. I love it. I love that. Hey, it's Cameron. Did you hear? That's right. I wrote another book. But this book isn't just another book for me. It's actually for you, the visionary CEO that is looking to grow and scale their business. This book is called The Second in Command, Unleash the Power of Your COO. As a founder and CEO, you're used to making all the decisions, but the business you have isn't the one you envision. Heck, we've all been there. And the thing is, you know what you need. You need a COO, someone who can help you build the company you don't know how to build on your own. The Second in Command is your go-to guidebook when you're ready to scale up. I go through all the details in every aspect of the process, from knowing when you need to hire a COO, through identifying and hiring the right candidate, and successfully onboarding and working with them, and so much more. Go to CameronHerald.com forward slash new book to get your copy today. The Second in Command reveals the benefits COOs bring to companies and explores the many ways a COO mastermind or a COO forum can help grow the COO skills. You'll meet the types of COOs and understand the role each type plays, discover how to bring on a COO into your company with the least disruption, and avoid common problems before they arrive. Once again, it's CameronHerald.com forward slash new book to grab your copy today. There's no need to go it alone. We're in this together. Now back to the show. One of the things about search firms that has, I guess, frustrated clients in the past is the idea of a retained firm that you're paying. So there's the difference between retained and contingency, right? Contingency is I'm going to pay you a percentage of the the compensation the person gets paid if you find them and, and you guys go out and work really, really hard with the hopes of collecting that percentage. Retained is I'm going to pay you a percentage even if you don't find the person. Now, you know, in all likelihood, you're going to work really hard and find somebody. But you guys have a different, I think you have a different pricing model. Do you not that you're more of a hybrid? We're, we are pretty traditional in terms of our fees and pricing. We charge one third to get started, one third of the fee after 60 days, and one third of the fee upon official offer acceptance, which is pretty similar than most to, thir- to most third firms out there. But Cameron, let, let me ask you. When, when talking about contingent versus retained. If you were, and I know you've been through transactions in the past, if you're looking to sell a company, are you going to call one of those lawyers that's on the billboard on the side of the highway? Or are you going to hire the best M&A lawyer that you can find and pay them up front to do a great job? Yeah, it's, it's probably going to be the, I, I probably won't be calling the one off the billboard. Right. When you need when you need a more professional service, a longer sales cycle, a longer project or engagement, paying someone to do it up, up front is just a lot more work. It's a lot more legwork throughout, at least in search with executive leaders. I always recommend clients to do that, even if they don't sign with us and they're looking to hire a COO or a COO or a CFO, whatever it is across the C-suite spectrum. Hey, if you don't sign up with us, no harm, no foul, right? We're here to, to, to partner with people who want to partner with us. But make sure you go to retain firm. You're going to hire a better executive leader, a higher quality executive leader. And 
that person should be there much longer than if someone's just slinging your resumes from people that they've had a 15 minute conversation with that day. Okay. So let's say that I'm a company and I'm looking to hire or retain a, a search firm to do a search for us. How do I go about selecting which firm to work with? And let's say, or let's even say that we've already picked Y Scouts. How do we, what do we do as the company that wants you to help us find somebody to help you find somebody? Like, how do we show up? How do we help the process? It's kind of like the, you know, help me to help you, right? Tell us what the, the companies need to do to get the best result with a search firm. Because I'm sure there's lots of people that you guys could do better searches if if they were showing up doing their part, but they often don't. So what can they do to do a better part? Commit your time early on. We have a lot of clients and people that we talk to who want to sign the contract and not be involved again until we have a slate of candidates. In contingent search, you can do that because if they're they're showing you eight staff resumes, then you don't need to be involved until you interview the person. But when you're hiring an executive leader, you have to be involved. There's no way else around it because if you're not, and we don't know what's in your brain, and we don't have a hundred percent transparent communication from you, starting from day zero, that can lead to a misalignment. It can lead to a misalignment of expectations. It can lead to a misalignment of qualifications for the individual. So the searches that we see most successful and the clients and the partnerships that we see are most successful, they have engaged stakeholders from day zero throughout. It is more involved in the beginning in retained search. You are transferring much more knowledge, much more data, and much more of your time in the beginning and throughout, but it pays off. You're not hiring a $50,000 a year staff person. You're hiring a $250,000 to $500,000 executive leader. It's expensive. Be involved throughout and be as transparent as possible. Don't, don't hold any information from your search partner. Well, thank you. One of the things that I've heard from, from companies in the past is there's they feel at times like the search firm has a conflict of interest, right? That at the end of the day, you want us to hire the people or the person that you're pushing to us because you get a commission. So there's often this feeling that, you know, it's kind of like the realtor who only has one house listed and they're going to show that house to everybody because they're going to make the commission on both sides of the sale. How, how do we know that the firm does have our best interest and they're not just pushing somebody for us to hire? And then secondly is what part of the process should we still run? You know, if the, if the search firm is saying, oh, we've already done the interview for you or we've already done the reference checks for you, should we still be doing, you know, interviews and reference checks on our side as well? That's a great and relevant question. And I think it, it depends on the search and the client. Um, can you repeat that? The, I remember your second question. Can you repeat the first question? Yeah, I, I guess it's just how do we know that you're not pushing a client or, you know, a prospect to us? Um, that's all. Sometimes we do push, but we push because we have expertise in this functional area or industry. We talk to people nonstop. And we oftentimes, we may talk to a candidate, screen a candidate twice, write up their presentation and look at it and say, this is the person. Mm. We, and we believe strongly that person is. Every once in a while, a client looks at it surface level and says, I don't think so. We have to rely on our gut and our instincts and our expertise and our understanding of this search 
And we have to make a call. Is we are strong consultants, we're strong advisors, we're experts, and that's why people come to us for help. Is we're experts in that functional area, in that industry, in that position. So every once in a while, we do push because it, we believe that it's that this is a right candidate and worth their time to meet. Yeah, it makes sense. As, ter- as far as the conflict of interest, we have a six-month guarantee. So if that person we're pushing does not work out, we're replacing that person for free. And 95% of the time, a company's going to know, a hiring manager's going to know. If that person's not the right person within six months, they know. Yeah. Yeah. That's true, too. All right. So let's talk about you as a vice president of operations. Um, what skills are you working on today? What skills are you you know, trying to get better at in terms of, of your role? Because as you mentioned, it was a fast promotion, but you've been in the role now for a little bit. But what are you working on day to day? For me right now is building and measuring not only just KPIs and metrics across the organization as we're maturing as an organization and as we're becoming a cross-functional operating team for the, really the first time in White Scouts history, but it's building and measuring the right and the correct and the appropriate KPIs in metrics across the organization. And really, we run on EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system, which we love. And using their principle of you know, leadership, manage, and accountability as well across the organization and doing it in the correct way is what I'm really working on right now. I love that. With, um, with EOS, we've got a lot of our CO Alliance members use EOS. I'm friends with Gino Wickman, who is the founder of the entrepreneurial operating system and his book, Traction. Um, did you work with an EOS implementer or did you as a company self-implement the EOS systems? We were self-implementing. We, we were using an implementer for years. For whatever reason, the decision was made a few years to get away from that. But now we have made the decision to go back to an official implementer. So, so we were down in Scottsdale for eight hours meeting with our implementer in mid-March going through our Q2 quarterly planning, and that will be a cadence that we are on with an official EOS implementer going forward. Okay, great. Because um, if, if you didn't have one, I have a really great one I was going to introduce you to that is local as well. So you mentioned, um, you know, transition in the industry. And, and I wanted to ask a little bit about, you know, what's it like right now running a search firm when so many companies are laying off. Is there is there worry? Is there panic? Is it harder to find clients? Can you kind of speak to that? Or is it more, you know, the media is maybe getting us, getting us all a little bit nervous when we don't need to be? I think it's all of the above. If any hiring expert or any financial expert tells you that they believe what's going on in the labor market right now, it changes by the day. We've never seen before, right, in several sectors we do have these moves, and we do have a recessionary trend. At the same time, we've got a few sectors that are outperforming. But interest rates keep rising and rising and rising. Cash is so expensive right now. However, we're still at decades low unemployment. We lost three to four million people from the U.S. job market in the last 38 months since the beginning of COVID really going back to about 2016 when uh, legal immigration laws were changed and made it a lot more stringent and decreased the number 
of legal immigrants that we can be admitting into the workforce. And at that time in 2016, every single Fortune 500 CEO said that that was a bad decision. And then years later, in 2020, when the COVID recession happened, we lost millions of people. That's when it started to, to show its ugly head. And we're still feeling that. So although cash is getting so expensive, interest rates are rising, unemployment rate is at record low. So we've got clients that are reading the news that say, great, I can get someone for 30% of their market pay right now, and it'll take a month because everyone's on the job market. What we're seeing is that, yeah, there's a lot of B, B minus and, and lower talent on the job market right now. And if you want B minus or lower talent, you can find it. But if you want that A talent, you're still paying a premium because those people aren't getting laid off. They're, get, they're being held on to really tightly. Yeah. I, I've said for years as well that most companies that say they have an A-level team have a bunch of Bs at best, that they don't truly even understand what an A-level team looks like, acts like, and feels like until they actually have them. And A, a players are never out looking for a job. A players already have jobs and they're not quitting to go work for an average company. So how do you... Um, what are your thoughts around recruiting right now in this post-COVID environment where companies are hybrid or remote? Is that making it easier, harder, different? A little bit of both, because we've got some industries that don't have the flexibility of going remote. We've got clients, for example, in manufacturing, we've got clients in construction, in similar industries where there's no option to go remote. They've got to be on site. They've got to be at the plant. So those roles are a little bit different. And those candidates in those industries know they're not signing up for a role. They know they're going to the office. They know they're going to plant, the site, et cetera. In other industries, it's helpful because we, have a, we can cast a wider net. But at the same time, the candidates that are working remotely and want to work remotely, they've got so many options. So if a company has the ability to work remote, depending on the industry and whatever it is, and they're not, and they're only looking in their local market, they have to realize that those candidates in that local market not only are looking in that local market, but they're looking at every single other market in the United States. So their competition is way more fierce in the candidate's market. Wow, is it ever? Yeah, it's interesting. Like in years ago, companies used to to be um, we used to protect consumers against predatory pricing for companies going in and, and pricing really low and and really hurting other companies in the industry. Now it's almost like predatory hiring, where we have all these tech companies in the Bay Area that have all this cash and they're out hiring and they're overpaying for roles, but now they're overpaying for people that are in Ohio and Iowa and you know, North Dakota, like they don't care where people live anymore. So are you seeing companies adjust the pay for remote hires or work from home hires or hires in other states? Or is that, is that adjustment being absorbed because of competition still? Yes and no. There are a lot of companies in Ohio or in Michigan or in Kansas that have lower cost of living where they are in lower cost of way lower cost of labor that simply can't afford to outbid the companies out of Silicon Valley, especially, you know, more than a year ago when they were really paying all the cash they could for top level talent. So it's definitely raised the cost of labor in pretty much every market in the United States. But I think that that was necessary after 20 years of 
really not raising the cost of labor in the United States. Uh, the pendulum swung back a little bit in the candidate's favor. Now you're seeing an inch back in the employer's favor with layoffs happening in, in, in several different sectors. But uh, it did raise wages pretty much across the board, depending on the city. It depends on how much. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I was saying as well. Um, what's it like working with an entrepreneur who is kind of the ADD? I'm not sure if Max is so bipolar, but he's definitely, you know, a perpetual motion machine, big energy, lots of ideas. What's it like working with an entrepreneur like that? And can you give advice to any other second commands out there? Uh, and can you give advice to any of the CEOs out there that are, are, are like that and how they can better work with their teams? Absolutely. Working with Max has been fantastic. I, there's no way for me to measure what I have learned from him and his entrepreneurial mindset and his visionary mindset. I learn every single day from him. The challenge of working with a visionary CEO is that they are visionaries, right? Oftentimes, CEOs, they may see a shiny object and they want you to chase it. And every once in a while, they might see multiple shiny objects at the same time which can change the focus of their second command. And when it's going top down, can change the focus of their staff. And sometimes we may taste shiny objects before the shiny objects that we taste a month ago have been completed in their projects. So the challenge is when to push back, when to pick your battles and how to pick your battles and how to push back. So that's, it's a challenge for any second command because if we said yes to everything our CEOs and visionaries wanted, we'd be working 100 hours a week and not getting anything done. So we've got to have, and, and for me, it's all about having the data, right? This is what works. This is the data that we have. What works, may work, et cetera. But it's knowing when to pick those battles. So my advice, number one to other COOs, is you have to have thick skin and you have to be confident in your decision making and confident in when to pick battles. And oftentimes that's driven by data, right? We can't just say my opinion is to a CEO because they're too smart for that. But we've got to say, this is what the data is telling us and why we're pushing back and saying we should not chase this. My advice to CEOs and visionaries, maybe give an extra 90 second thought to that shiny object. Is this really something we need to be chasing in the next 14 to 28 days and why. I'm not asking them to do a full cost benefit analysis on all of those decisions because then that would slow them down too much and they would be taking them away from their visionaries. But maybe instead of saying, hey, let's chase it, maybe ask your second command, do we have data to back this off? Or hey, why don't you create a cost benefit analysis on this quickly, spend 20 minutes on it, and then let's discuss at the end of the day. Again, just building data into any decisions. I love that a lot. All right, let's go back to the 21, 22-year-old Sammy Siegel. He needs some advice from the current you. What advice would you give the 21-year-old that you know to be true today, but you wish you'd known back then? My goodness, how much time you got, Cameron? (laughs) I was not very smart as a 21, 22-year-old. I was... In I was obtaining my master's degree from the wonderful University of Kansas, Kansas Graduate School of Business in accounting, the emphasis in taxation. Number one, I wish someone would have told me, other than my great aunt after the fact, that I was too ADD to be a strong tax accountant, number one. And number two, 
I would tell myself to trust my gut more mm. and to focus. As a 21 and 22 year old, all I wanted to do was go out and have fun in grad school and have fun in Chicago when I, where I moved when I was finishing up grad school. And I would tell myself, number one, be more confident in your decision making. Number two, be more confident in the goals that you want to achieve. And number three, be more confident in what you want to pursue as a career. When I graduated uh, my grad school, it was August 2008 a couple months before the economy went to shit. So I got rattled as a lot of other people in my age group did. We didn't know what to do. A lot of us lost our jobs in the next two years. And we were figuring out what we wanted to do with our careers and making a career change before we were mature enough to know what we wanted to do, how we wanted to do it and what we were good at and what we sucked at. So I think just focusing more on that at that age range for me and getting more strategic to that could have helped. I love it. Sammy Siegel, the Vice President of Operations for Y Scouts. Super appreciative of your time today. Love the fact that you're a CEO Alliance member as well, but really appreciate your time and sharing with all of our listeners as well. Thank you, Cameron. It was an honor to be here with you today, and I really appreciate your time as well. Love it. And a reminder to everybody as well that all of our episodes are also shared on the Second in Command YouTube channel, as well as wherever you listen to podcasts as well. So check us out on YouTube too. Thanks, Sammy. Thank you. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.